Welcome to DealCast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're looking at the fallout from the Credit Suisse deal with UBS and what it means for shareholders and bondholders. I'm joined by two journalists who've been covering this situation closely. Cristiano Dallabona, who is an ECM reporter, and Samuel Kerr, who's the senior ECM editor for EMEA. Hi, Cristiano. Hi, Sam. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Sam. Hello. Thank you for having us. So, Sam, starting with you, can you just, in a nutshell, if that's possible, Explain how Credit Suisse ended up in this position, please. Well, it's a series of really unfortunate events for the bank. I mean, it's Credit Suisse has been one of the problem childs of the European banking uh, industry for quite some time. I mean, it only recently completed a rights issue at the end of last year, one of many uh, after the uh, financial crisis. Um, it, obviously, it's had its long-running scandals that, that uh, people are, are all too familiar with. Uh, there was news uh, very recently about financial misreporting and uh, its numbers not being as solid uh, as perhaps investors had thought. But, but most immediately, actually, the 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 issues with the bank uh, started a couple of weeks ago when uh, the chair of the Saudi National Bank made some pretty unguarded comments uh, that the uh, they wouldn't be supporting Credit Suisse with any more capital. And, and that really just caused uh, investor panic over the bank itself. Uh, and uh, we have to also look at it, I think, in light of what happened with uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank in, in the US and a general concern over the global bank's uh, asset liability uh, mismatch that we're seeing at the moment, uh, mainly to do obviously with the fact that a lot of their liquid treasury assets that they hold and are now no longer as highly valued as they were when they bought them, meaning that theoretically they couldn't meet depositors. Uh, you know, should they have to uh, sort of meet, meet a larger, larger depositor withdrawal? So, so I think I think that's the sort of the general picture. And I, I think obviously we obviously have to remember that no bank could ever meet or <laughs> would depositor withdrawals at any one time. That's not how the banking industry works. But uh, there was a general feeling of fear over the global banking system, and credit, with Credit Suisse being one of the the larger problem banks that we, we we've been we. Sort of been writing about for so many years. I think those comments in the Saudi National Bank chair, uh, who, who's actually subsequently resigned, um, uh, kicked off uh, a, a, the series of events that will have led, obviously, to uh, Credit Suisse having to be uh, rescued by by UBS and and no longer existing in its in, in its uh, sort of uh, storied form. Great. Well, that brings us perfectly on to you, Cristiano. Can you explain the structure of the deal with UBS, please? Yes. Yeah, so the Swiss authorities were quick to step in and over a single weekend uh, the Swiss Federal Department of Finance, the Swiss National Bank and the financial regulator uh, FINMA um, joined the same table to set up a framework uh, of terms that will be at the basis of this merger which we should remember will be closing by the end of 2023, that's the hope. Um, and this lays out what shareholders and bondholders are entitled uh, to have. So shareholders will receive one share in UBS for 22.48 shares uh, in Credit Suisse. The merger consideration was a total of 3 billion Swiss francs. And there were 
access to facilities that will provide substantial additional liquidity, but also other um, integration uh, framework arrangements that will probably take shape in the coming months. Uh, what was interesting he here is the treatment that part of the bondholders had, because those who held what we call the additional tier one uh, bonds or COCOs um, saw a quite different treatment. These bonds are contingent convertibles that were a heritage of the financial crisis of 2008, and they are seen as a sort of riskier investment in this typical framework. But it's the first time really that we see this radical approach of them being uh, written off to zero, which is what happened as part of the decision of the Swiss authorities. Um, and that's part a debate that will probably be interesting to follow in the coming months as well from what our sources say. We'll come on to that in a bit more detail in a moment, but is there any shareholder approval needed for, for this deal, either from UBS or, or Credit Suisse shareholders? Have they had, have, have Credit Suisse shareholders and bondholders had any input at all? Because it sounds like this was orchestrated by the Swiss state. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. Uh, there was no need as part of the terms for a shareholder approval. Um, it was a decision taken by the government with the banks um, and per the terms that was a decision set for the coming months that had no need for an approval. And this prompted some stark reaction for, from some of the shareholders we've been speaking with uh, that would want to voice their opinions. Although some said that they found the price favorable, still it wasn't uh, a stress-free step for the shareholder base. And so, Cristiano, where does it leave Credit Suisse shareholders and bondholders? The shareholders obviously end up with shares in UBS, but are they happy with that? And what about the bondholders? Because it feels like they've missed out the most. Yes. So it will be interesting to see what the shareholder response will be in the coming weeks. But we always uh, have evidence of what the bondholders think at the moment from uh, a quite strong reaction that we've seen reported in the last few days. Um, bondholders were not happy and always, um, as you can see in this case, legal action becomes an option pretty quickly. And we have seen two firms in particular exploring uh, what's available for them to seek compensation of what they feel like is, you know, ground being swept off uh, from their feet uh, overnight. Because it feels like an unprecedented situation. Is there any history of deals like this? I guess not in Switzerland. And also, which jurisdiction, if there is legal action, which jurisdiction would that come under? Yes, this is an interesting case. Uh, so we've seen two main firms, Queen Emanuel, um, a US headquartered firm, and a London boutique, Palace Partners, who have been fielding angry calls from investors who are uh, seeking to find uh, compensation out of the situation. And what they are exploring at the moment is two main avenues. One is based on bilateral investment treaties, where they will argue the case that they're foreign um, investment rights were not taken into consideration and protected uh, by the Swiss government. And then they will try to seek additional avenues in international courts as new filings come in, because with the fact that 
US courts and London courts are available, the power of discovery that the lawyers will obtain from these courts is likely to be higher. They will have access to uh, documents that maybe if a legal case took place only in Switzerland, they would not necessarily obtain. And it's likely to take still a few weeks, but we spoke with the firms involved and we have knowledge that they want to file shortly in Switzerland and in the next few weeks also both in the US and in London. And Sam, as someone who's covered the equity capital markets, is this action by bondholders something you've seen before? I mean, we often have situations where bondholders get left out when you have these rescue deals happen. Uh, you know, you've certain any kind of uh, rescue transaction, rescue rights issues, and often cases you tend to have the bondholders being burned. So it's not certainly not uncommon for bondholders to be able to or to seek some 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 resolution on some or and some. Um, uh, to, to, to want to get something back really from uh, from, from these deals because I mean when you have these very top heavy actions by governments it tends to ask the sort of question well what is an independent publicly listed company right you know the owners of these companies are, are meant to be their shareholders and bondholders invest with that with with that being the, 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 the sort of rationale behind their investment I mean if when you have this sort of large-scale government intervention, uh, it certainly puts bondholders in a position that they couldn't have foreseen when they made that investment. So I think, you know, it's it's not uncommon at all for this to happen. And what about the impact on bondholders and the structure of those bonds in other banks? Because you mentioned that these, these type of bonds, the cocoa bonds, were a result of the previous financial crisis. Will they be seen as a, as a riskier investment? So the 81 cancellation um, is quite consequential and it could be one of the biggest issues about the deal uh, in the coming months. It's going to be very hard for people to think about how to refinance existing 81s in other situations. But also the kind of, uh, as one of the bankers we spoke with said, um, the very status quo of any other bank that has a significant portion of 81s on their balance sheet. So they will become likely more expensive across the board. And also the UBS 81s will get more scrutinized and more expensive. So definitely uh, a harder uh, product to refinance. Thank you. And the legal action that you mentioned taken by Quinn Emanuel and Palace Partners, could that delay the closing of the Credit Suisse and UBS deal? From what we've found uh, from experts and sources and the firms themselves, it looks like this decision is still up to the courts. Uh, the filing can be done throughout the merger control uh, process. So we will definitely see a lot of those, but it's still uncertain what kind of impact this will have on the time frame. And picking up on the, the merger control process, it doesn't feel like a very <laughs> an easy deal to get competition clearance on. How are they going to do that? Or is that being waived in this situation? No, uh, it can be waived on the Swiss grounds, but not in international courts. And there's always been a lot of public statements from government saying that they will definitely take into account the full regulatory framework that a normal merger control process would require, which was quite kind of uh, skirted through the Swiss talks over that weekend and in the ensuing week. Great. Thank you, Cristiano. And Sam, coming back to you, 
What has been the wider impact of this on the banking sector? We had the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and now Credit Suisse. Where does it leave other banks? So I think the first thing we need to say is the speed of this has been exceptional. Uh, yeah, about two or three weeks ago, no one would have expected or wouldn't be even talking about this. Uh, you know, we even wrote a piece that banks were the hottest stocks to own in, in, in equity markets. And they were. I mean, we were getting sort of a lot of indication from banks that investors were pouring in, asking for, for big block trades in banks uh, following on. And we had a huge sell down in, in BNP Paribas by the Belgian government. Uh, and there was a lot of int- uh, idea that the banks would, bank privatizations would continue with the UK government, with Ireland and others. So the whole environment has changed completely within uh, the short space of time. Uh, the There is still, I think, a, 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 a feeling of fear around the entire global banking sector because of the issues that we, we brought up at the top of this podcast with the issues with the asset liability mismatch, particularly in the rising interest rate environment. At the moment, it feels like things have calmed down. Um, at the uh, tail end of uh, you know, last week, the week that Credit Suisse was taken over by UBS, uh, we did see a very big move in the uh, credit default swaps of Deutsche Bank, uh, which then had a subsequent effect on the share price. That does seem to have settled, uh, and there doesn't seem to be any more talk yet that that is a, a bank that could be troubled. But there is, I unfortunately a lot of memory of the global financial crisis and, and people are asking if, if Credit Suisse is the sort of the Bear Stearns of this crisis, who is going to be Lehman Brothers? Uh, and is there going to be a Lehman Brothers? Uh, well, one would obviously hope not, but I think if you look at the situation we have at the moment and we bring it back to the, the macro environment, we have a situation where global central banks are still focused on a fight against inflation. Uh, the Fed raised interest rates at its last meeting, so did the ECB. And uh, if you look at the, the COMC, uh, Fed, sorry, CME FedWatch tool, uh, there is expectation that rate rises will continue. So we are going to get a situation where bank uh, assets will continue to be pressured by that rising interest rate environment. And there will be further questions asked about banking uh, liquidity and their ability to meet uh, deposit obligations. Uh, so this isn't going to go away. Uh, and the, the more rates rise, the more we will have possible pressure for banks. Uh, and there could be you know, two weeks time another credit switch. We hope not at that scale, but we certainly can't write it, can't, can't rule it out. And, and I think when you're looking at the general markets, that, that now is the sort of two pronged fear that we have at the moment of, you know, the fight against inflation, which has been on everybody's minds now for, 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 for you know, really since 20, the beginning of 2022. And now this pressure that is seeping into the uh, global financial system and the possibility that we could have uh, similar incidents that we saw to uh, the great financial crisis in 2008. And, and that's, not a, that's not a great atmosphere to be in, I think. And certainly for equity investors, if you're looking globally, it's positioning very, very difficult because uh, you have no idea what to expect. And uh, they do say, you know, banks do fall more quickly than others. And Credit Suisse is a, an absolute example of that. Great. Thank you very much, Sam and Cristiano. That was Cristiano Della Bonna and Samuel Kerr. Thanks for listening to Dealcast, presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information about what we've been discussing, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week.